The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Welcome to Setting the Record Straight, a podcast of Reconstructionist Radio. My name is Jason Garwood, and I serve as the teaching pastor at Cross and Crown Church here in Northern Virginia. And today I wanted to share with you a message from my time in Lusaka, Zambia, just a couple of months ago. This message is called Resurrection Authority. And uh, the theme of our, our school of ministry that we put on was on the issue of authority and so this is one of several of the messages uh, that, that was given there. So thank you so much for listening, and I pray that you are edified. Pastor Jason from Virginia, doctor, actually. It's good to be with you again. Amen. Amen. Open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John. What I want to do in my time here tonight is just dig in deep to this passage with you. You have the tools, you have the principles. I want to sort of anchor this in a passage that I think is incredibly important. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verses 17 through 19, excuse me, 17 through 18, I will read that. These are the words of God. For this reason, my father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. Let's pray real quick. Our Father and God, we thank you so much that we could gather here this evening and learn from your word. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears so that we, we might know your word and not just know it, do it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. One of the things that I think we need to be thinking about regularly is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's the aim of this message. Why the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. How the resurrection of Christ is going to move you into the principles that Brother Ron just shared with us tonight. Now in America, we tend to sort of talk about um, uh, the resurrection only on Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday. It's a big to-do. All the, all the nice suits and ties come out. The shoes are cleaned, right? The kids are dressed up really nice. And then sort of the next week, we forget about it. Well, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, isn't it? Amen. Now, I'm not against celebrating Easter. I think it's a fantastic way to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was raised on that Sunday, uh, he was raised on the beginning of the new week, wasn't he? He was raised on a Sunday, the first day of the week. Now, that has massive, massive significance because the first day of the new week coincides with creation. So Jesus is bringing a new creation. 
Now, the concept of new creation is all throughout Scripture. Um, Noah was bringing a new creation when after the flood um, and after they found dry ground, uh, he was instructed to continue the dominion mandate. God told him to be fruitful and multiply. Um, when God made a covenant with Abraham, Abraham was to bring forth a new creation. He was to have descendants as numerous as the stars. Again, the dominion mandate. The same goes for the Exodus event. When Yahweh rescued Israel from being slaves in Egypt, he sent Moses to bring them out of bondage so that they could be free men and women. And the reason that they needed to be free men and women and not perpetual slaves to Egypt was because God, again, wanted them to obey the dominion mandate. So their job, like ours, is to take the land. Your job is to take this land to build things and make things and so on. Jesus Christ being raised on a Sunday morning was a sign of the new creation. It was the beginning of a new facet to our work, another angle, another option for us, uh, the only option now in the Dominion Covenant. Now, this is deeply connected to the issue of the Sabbath, and I want to talk about that tonight, the Sabbath day, because there's a lot of misunderstandings out there about the Sabbath day. So let's look real quick at the context, though, of our passage here in John chapter 10. You probably know this passage well, right? Jesus is the great shepherd. So I want to draw some conclusions from it, and we'll go from there. Now, the chapter starts with Jesus. He's explaining to the crowds and the Pharisees that he is the door, right? He's the door. That's in verse 1. Um, he's the door. The only way into the sheepfold is through him. Now, what do thieves do? Do they go through the front door? No, they find another door. They find that they go the other side. They go another way. The only, only the shepherd, verse 2, only the shepherd goes through the doorway. When the shepherd calls to his sheep at the door, guess what happens? They hear his voice and he leads them. That's verse 3. Now knowing his voice, they follow. Verse 4. Now a stranger, they won't follow. Why won't they follow the stranger? They don't know his voice. They can't recognize it. So they flee away from him. Verse 5. And we see in verse 6 that Jesus, he, he's speaking in figures of speech, right? Parables. He, he's speaking in parables. And the Pharisees, man, they had more degrees. They had, they had all the degrees behind their names. They had all the letters behind their names. They were doctor, rabbi, yada, 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 yada. They didn't know anything. They were dumb. They were educated past their intelligence. So Jesus has to explain this again, because they don't, they don't get it. Jesus is the door of the sheep, verse 7. He's the door of the sheep. False prophets and other false religious leaders, they came, they came before him, but the sheep didn't hear him. The sheep didn't listen. Why? Because they're strangers, verse 8. If a man wants salvation, he has to walk in and through Jesus Christ, who is the door of salvation. Verse 9, now the thief, probably Jesus is talking about Satan at this point. The thief, he comes, well, he, he is most definitely talking about Satan, but he comes to what? He, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy the sheep. Verse 10, but Jesus says he came so the sheep would live. And not only that they would live, that they would have an abundant life. Amen. Verse 10, 
So Jesus is the good shepherd of Israel. And in order to be a good shepherd, the shepherd must lay down his life for the sheep. Verse 11. In other words, now listen carefully. When there is danger, he must exert the energy necessary to save his flock. You're not just going to talk it, talk. You have to do something about it. When there is danger, this shepherd has to exert the energy that is necessary in order to save his flock. Not sit down and wait for somebody else to do it. So the hired hand, the hired hand here, he's not the owner of the sheep. And when the wolves come, and he, and he, he leaves the sheep because he's only concerned about himself, he's scared of the wolf. He's too scared. He cowers. And thus the sheep scatter, the wolf snatches them, and then things go very badly. Verse 12, Jesus explains that the reason the hired hand flees when danger comes is because he's not concerned about the sheep. If you own a car and you're out parked out, we'll go to East Park Mall. You're parked there and you leave the keys in there, the window's down, and you tell some stranger, hey, watch my car, I'm going to get some money. Now, let's say that stranger's standing there. He's a semi-honorable you know, honorable man. And somebody else comes along and gets in the car. Do you think he's going to exert the energy necessary to save your car? Why? It's not his. It's not his. Now, G Jesus, he reiterates the message. He's the good shepherd. He knows his sheep. And guess what? His sheep know him. But they only know him because the shepherd knows that hit them, right? That's the only way this works. You didn't love God first. God loved you first. That's verse 14. In fact, to the degree that God the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father is the degree in which Jesus knows his people. Let me say that again because if you don't, if you're not wowed by that, Jesus knows the Father. The Father knows Jesus. That love, that relationship is the same that Jesus has with you. Verse 15. So Jesus is not like the hired hand. Jesus doesn't run and he's not scared. He doesn't flee. What does Jesus do? He lays down his life to protect them from harm. And Jesus, he says, he has other sheep of, the, uh, of a different fold, right? He, he has Gentiles, not just his Israelite brothers and sisters, but others that he's going to bring in. And there's going to be one flock under one shepherd. Hallelujah. Now, the Father loves Jesus for this reason, among other reasons. And that being the fact that in verse 17, he lays down his life so that he may take it up again. The Father loves Jesus for that. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? And to provide even further clarity to what Jesus is even talking about, he says in verse 18, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority. That's what this conference is about, right? All authority. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Do you see the context of this verse now? In order for God's 
chosen people, for God's elect to be rescued from Satan, sin, and death, Jesus Christ had to come. He had to die for them. And guess what? He had to be raised. A dead Messiah isn't a no-good Messiah. But a raised Messiah, that'll preach. And it's interesting here why Jesus says what he says. But before we look at that, I want to make sure you don't miss something. When Jesus came to Israel, Jesus found them, the scripture says, without a shepherd. Right? They were sheep without a shepherd. Israel was in a very bad spot. They had, they had been exiled hundreds of years before then. Their kingdom was destroyed by Babylon. 500 years of, of things just not being the same. Yeah, you know, we have Nehemiah and Ezra. They came back to Jerusalem. You know, they built the wall. But guess what didn't happen? The glory of God did not return to the temple. Nothing was the same. They were without a shepherd. They didn't have any leadership they didn't have any leadership because no one wanted to follow God. They wanted to do their own thing. Now, this theme of a shepherd and sheep is not really a new invention of Jesus. In fact, it's all over the Old Testament. I'll give you some verses, and you can write these down and look them up later. While on, while on his deathbed, Jacob, remember Jacob? Jacob declared in Genesis 48, verse 15. Genesis 48, verse 15. He said that God had been a shepherd all of his day. God had been a shepherd to Jacob. In fact, when he was prophesying over his children, he says in, in Genesis 49, 14, Genesis 49, 14, he says that, that there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Speaking of God, God is a shepherd. Jesus didn't just make that up. He knew the Bible. He knew his father. He's always been a shepherd. A couple more examples. In Psalm 23.1, you should know this. Psalm 23.1, David says, The Lord is my what? Shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 28, verse 9. Psalm 28, verse 9 says, Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd also and carry them forever. One more example quite pertinent to the discussion here is the prophecy of the, of the, uh, of the prophet Micah. Do you remember his, in, in his blessing um, Bethlehem, he predicts that, yeah, they're, they're little, but there's a ruler that's going to come from them. Micah 5.4. Jesus shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall, what, dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. That's Micah chapter 5, verse 4. My point is simple. The shepherd-sheep relationship is not something new. Jesus didn't invent it. He didn't make it up on the spot, but he took the theme from the Old Testament and he brought it to, to his listeners. He said, this is my ministry. This is what I'm doing. In effect, Jesus says, listen, Israel, you are a mess right now. You have gone headlong into sin, and you, you can't find your way out because it's, the room is dark and you're blind. You don't find your way out in that type of situation. Your leaders, they're all blind. None of them know which way is up. That's not leadership. 
That's not protection. This is not the sort of thing that you're just going to figure out on your own in the long run. Instead, Jesus says, I am the shepherd. I am your only way out. Now, remember our definition, if you remember from a couple nights ago when I was here, our definition for authority. I want to sort of pull this all out of here. An authority is a person who has the right to command something. He has the right to command something. An authority is a person who has the right to command something, to exercise dominion and rule over something. The authority to command something, to exercise dominion and rule over something, and to do all of that under its own jurisdiction. That's an important, for all these talks that you've listened to, that's a central foundational definition for you. I'll say it one more time. An authority is a person who has the right to command something, the right to exercise dominion and rule over something, and do it all under its own jurisdiction. Now apply that to Jesus in John chapter 10. He says, I have authority to lay my life down, and I have authority to take it back up again. Any of you, can you say that? I can't say that. Jesus has the right to exercise rule over his own life. No man takes his life. He has that type of jurisdiction. He is the author of life. Therefore, he holds the keys to life. You were tracking here. The devil does not have authority over Christ's life. He does not have the jurisdiction. He doesn't have the jurisdiction over your life either. The devil doesn't have jurisdiction and authority over any Christian's life. So no man has the right to, to command something over Christ. No one. No one can take his life and then declare supremacy over him. Isn't that what the religious leaders did? Isn't that what Pilate tried to do? They put him to death. Do you think that they went home and had some wine and, and, and laughed? Absolutely. They thought they had won. They thought they had the authority to put Jesus to death. And Jesus says, you, no one has that authority. I have it. Amen. You don't get to, the, to say to the creator God, as a creature, I'm in charge here. You do what I say. Now think about the explosive nature of what Jesus is claiming here. The shepherd has to die for the sheep of Israel, for the sins of Israel, and for the sins of the world. They, they are blinded by their sin. They need salvation. They're under attack from the wolves. They don't, they don't know what to do. So their only way to deal with this problem, this existential crisis of planetary proportions, this huge universal problem, is for this shepherd to lay down his life. But here's the catch. It's Christ who lays it down. Now keep in mind what Jesus said to Pilate later on in this book. We can, we can turn there. Turn to John 19 real quick. I'm moving quick because we're, we're, we're on, a, on a time crunch a little bit. But I think the Lord needs you to hear this tonight. John chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. Once again, these are the words of God. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me. Did you not know that I have authority to release you? Oh. And I have authority to crucify you? What did Jesus just say? 
Nine chapters before this, I have authority to lay down my life. And what is Pilate saying? Pilate says, I have the authority to lay down your life. And Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it has been given from above. For this reason, he, delivered, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. See, Pilate does have authority to crucify Jesus, but let me tell you what happens here. Jesus gave him that authority because the authority belongs to him. So he thinks he has that authority. Uh, he, he believes he's more powerful than Jesus. And there is a difference, you know this, between authority and power, right? A gunman might rob you, and he does have the power in that moment, but he doesn't have the authority. He's breaking God's law. God's law sets the boundaries for authority. So here's Pilate. He's this governor of the great Roman Empire. And he says to Jesus, I have the authority here. That's why you're standing here. And I'm standing above you. And I'm ruling over you. And didn't you know? <laughs> Did you know, Jesus, I could kill you? That's what he's saying. I'm the one with the Roman, the robes on. I got the crown. I'm the ruler of this place. Didn't you know this, Jesus? You didn't know that I could take your life? I can kill you. That's how powerful I am. And Jesus says, the only authority you have, Pilate, is the authority that I gave you. Why are you being so arrogant? Why? Like, I would have loved Jesus to just slap him and say, dude, listen. You don't have the authority you think you do, you arrogant little man. No one takes Christ's life, not even Pilate. Christ lays it down for his sheep because he has the authority. Now go back to John 10 real quick. We've got to go backwards. John 10. Not only does Jesus have the authority to lay it down, he has the authority to raise it up. Scripture speaks of Christ being raised by his own authority, by the Holy Spirit's power, by the Father as well. All three members of the Trinity were at work Easter morning. They weren't sitting back relaxing. All three persons of the Trinity were at work on Easter morning. And But Jesus, he takes the logic to the next step. He has the right, the jurisdiction, to exercise power in the giving of life, giving himself life in the resurrection of his life. He has that type of authority. Now, what does it mean for Jesus to have this self-giving authority? Well, it means that his atonement is done on his terms, right? His atonement is done on his terms, and that's because he wants his people to be saved his way. He didn't want to leave it open for questions so that we could just sit here and ponder, oh, well, how do we go to heaven? How do we save ourselves? Oh, I don't know. Let's, let's play the lottery. Let's go to the casino. Let's figure it out, right? No, Jesus died so that you could be saved, and that's it. Now, what does it mean for Christ to have resurrection authority? He has self-giving authority. He gave his life. What does it mean for him to have resurrection authority? Well, it means that his salvation is done on his terms again so his people could be saved his way. Jesus died so that you would die. Do you hear me? Anybody, turn on the TV and the million-dollar suit man stands up. Jesus died so you could live. That's nonsense. 
It's nonsense. He didn't die so you could live. He died so that you could die with him. What does Galatians 2 tell us? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen? You died with him, and then you were raised with him. Now, Jesus, he didn't come to do his will. He didn't. He says it over and over again. He came to do the will of the Father, which means that it isn't, this isn't even all about Christ's self-directing will. All persons of the Trinity, all three persons were working in this salvific moment. The Father elects, the Son atones, the Spirit regenerates. The Father chooses, the Son dies, the Spirit implants the gospel in your heart. Now I want to focus on the Sabbath for a moment. We're talking about resurrection, resurrection authority. Jesus was raised on Easter morning, and as I said earlier, we should understand that to be God's implementation of the new heavens and new earth. That's day one. Jesus walked out of the tomb. Guess what? The world is now different. There's a place somewhere in Israel where there's an empty tomb and no man's there anymore. He was there. He's gone. Mark it on the calendar. Pin it on, the, on Google Earth where you can see. Uh, I mean, there's debate on where exactly this is. That's not the point. Jesus died. He was raised. The tomb's empty. So the world is now different. Now listen carefully. I'm going to repeat this twice because I want you to write it down. The resurrection means, the resurrection means that there is now a new social order. I didn't even finish the sentence. He's amening already. <laughs> Amen to that. The resurrection means that there is a new social order that's being implemented on earth as it is in heaven. The resurrection means that there is a new social order that's being implemented on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus did not ask you to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, get me off this planet. Things are bad. I've run out of quacha. I only have 20 quacha. And I don't know what else to do. Could you just get me out of here? Jesus did not pray like that. What did he say? Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. On earth. You heard me, right? On earth as it is in heaven. Okay? He didn't say, things are bad, get me out of here. He said, your job is to implement this new social order on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray for it and we labor for it. And you know what we do? Everything Bishop Ron said here, you leave tonight, you go look at that list, and you check it all off. And then you wake up the next day, you do it again. I don't know why it is. Every single stinking taxi I've ridden in in Zambia is on empty. They're on empty. How many have we've gotten in and they said, let's go get petrol? Why didn't you fill your car the morning you started work? 
Because you're not diligent. You don't think ahead. You're not planning. Brother Charles said, you want me to help you run your business? Here's the first thing you do. You wake up, you get in that car, you go to the petrol station, you fill it up. And then you go and you take people everywhere and do their thing. And then every five minutes, you don't have to stop. You go one kilometer, fill, you know, put, put five kwacha in. <laughs> and go another kilometer, you put five kwacha in. And they're just rolling around. It's like a circus out there. That's the social order we're trying to implement. Man, if I find a taxi with a full tank, ooh, we're going to have a conversation. You see, when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, everything changed. Everything was different. Everything was different. Because Jesus exercised his rightful authority to lay down his life and raise it up again, everything is changed. There is this new paradigm for law and order in yourself, in your family, in your church, and in the civil government. All of it. And part of this is tied to the Sabbath. So pay close attention to this. This is a little technical. It's a school of ministry. I'm going to school you, okay? As I mentioned before, Jesus was raised on day one of the new creation week. That has a lot of significance. Jesus said in John 5, 17, my father is working until now. John 5, 17. He said, my father is working until now, and I myself am working now, I see this as tied to the resurrection in this new Sabbath, okay? God created the world in how many days? Six. Six. Thank you. You didn't say seven. That's important. Six days he created, and he rested on the seventh, not because God got tired and he has limited resources and he exhausted himself. Oh, I need a fanta. I need to sit under a the shade and relax. I'm tired. No, no, no. God does not sleep or slumber. God does not take a vacation. He doesn't go golfing. He doesn't go to the beach. That'll preach. He rested on the seventh, not because he was tired, but guess what? Because he was done with his work. Some of y'all are trying to not do any work and just rest all day. What do you do? What's your job? I rest. I rest. That's my job. How much do you, how, how much do you make? Zero kwacha. That's a man who isn't in control of himself, is he? That's a man who doesn't know the dominion mandate. So he created man on which day of the week? Does anybody know? What day of the week did man and woman get created? Day six. Amen. So man's first full day would have been what? Day seven. Paying attention. He was created on day six. His first full 24-hour day was day seven. And what was day seven? God's Sabbath rest. Now Adam and Eve were to obey God in the dominion mandate, but guess what, right? They, they were supposed to start their week with rest and then go to work. You tracking with me? 
Ah, but instead of resting in God, what did they do? <laughs> instead of taking a day to enjoy God, to praise him, to walk with him in the cool of the day, they went to the serpent and they tried to get some advice on how to be wise apart from God. They were to rest their first day, God's seventh day. And then, then they were to get to work after that, the first day of the week. And now here is Jesus Christ. He's the second Adam in Scripture, right? And he is working. He's working and working. He says, my father is working and I am working. He's joined in this project of a new creation. He's working. He's doing the dominion mandate. And he's laying down his life for his sheep. He rises from the grave on Sunday morning, the first day of the week. And this means that the Sabbath rest has now changed. And it puts us back to the way it was supposed to be. Do you understand? Sabbath rest was supposed to be man's first full day of existence. But he plunged himself into death and chaos. And what did Jesus do? He came back to set the calendar straight again. You start your week, you start your dominion in a position of rest in Christ Jesus. So don't miss this. Sabbath, Sabbath has way more to do with resting from, from dominion, right, than it does even than worship. Because all of life is worship. Now, I believe Sunday morning, get to your church, praise God. Amen? Sing, hear the word preached, give, and then leave here. Guess what? But Sunday, though it is, though it is uh, important, and we typically think of Sunday as a worship service, it's more important than that. Here's why. The Sabbath was and is a rest for God's people. It's the picture of shalom for man and his neighbor. It was and is our disengagement from the toil and labor of recreation. And it was, it was to be done in order to celebrate the dominion that God has given us as our Redeemer. So Adam and Eve was given the world to work and to keep, and they were there to expand the garden, to build things, to invent things. Adam should have invented the iPhone. Adam should have owned Airtel. Adam should have been the one to invent the car. And y'all are driving on the wrong side of the road again. He was to recreate things. Adam doesn't have the power to speak things into existence. That's God's prerogative, right? But he's given us this earth to dig, to make, to build, to expand, to take dominion. God gave the world as putty. My kids love playing with putty. They make things. It's slimy, right? They were to begin this process by starting out their rest in God. But Adam and Eve didn't begin by resting in God. They sinned against God. And they broke the covenant, and their work was now cursed, and they were now frustrated by this inability to stop sinning. They needed a Savior. 
Now, Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. Amen? He's our Sabbath rest. And that means something absolutely tremendous. In Christ, we are now restored to our position of covenant keeping. And we are restored to a position of carrying out the dominion mandate. None of you should have heard Bishop Ron's stuff and said, I can't do it. None of you should have heard what this man of God said and thought, I can never do that. You can't fill your tank. We're th- I'm not talking about the big stuff here. Just go to the petrol station. Tell the guy, fill her up. How much? Okay. And then go about your bi- dominion. Amen? <laughs> and that, what that means for us today is that every single Sunday is supposed to be restful. It's supposed to be a celebration of the dominion that God has given us. Jesus laid his life down for his sheep because his sheep are called to disciple the nations. And the only way that's going to happen is by trusting him and obeying him. Again, here's the paradigm. In the Sabbath, we don't work, then rest. The resurrection says this. In Christ, we rest, then we work. Now, this changes because we have a new day, a new week. We have this new task in this new covenant into this new creation for all of the world. We are in King Adam II. King Adam II. And we get back to the original intent of what God intended to do with Adam. We rest and then we work. We rest in Christ, and then we work. And guess what your job is to do? Every Sunday you rest, and then Monday through Saturday you bust your tail and work. Sabbath is supposed to be rest and celebration of our work of dominion. Because, and because the church doesn't even believe in dominion, and we're driven by pietism, right? We're, we're spiritual people. And we hide in the corner, and we're spiritual, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and we don't do anything else, but we pray a lot. Let me tell you, prayer is wonderful, but it's useless if it's not coupled with action. So Sabbath, in America, this is true, Sabbath has become this retreat from the world and from work. We don't even want to work. We think it's the curse. We don't want to invent things. We don't want to make life easier. We don't, want to, we don't want to take dominion. We just retreat. I'm telling you, we fight this every single day. We're out at a college or at the abortion clinic. What are they doing? Where's the church? Nowhere to be found. They hide in their churches on Sunday, and then they sneak back home, and oh, wasn't that a great passage? Bishop Malenga, he preached his heart out, and oh, and amen. But what are you doing Monday? And, and <laughs> Sabbath has become, I'll say it again, this retreat from the world and work where we hide in our four walls of the church. And this is the reason America has just become this mess. The church has restru- retreated on Sunday. And instead, they, they've, instead of celebrating Monday through Saturday... You know what Sunday should be? Brothers and sisters, how was your week? And don't fake it. Oh, it was great. And then that's it. No, you say, oh, I met with this person. I prayed with them. And I encouraged them with some Bible verses. 
I encourage that father to, to be a better husband. I encourage that woman in the Lord so that she can be strong in the Lord, so she can raise her children. You see, this pietism has led to the point where we escape, our, we escape our work for a day rather than celebrate the victory that we have in the work of Christ. So work, work wasn't the curse. Adam was supposed to work before the curse. He, he was supposed to do that. And we have to stop thinking this if we're ever going to see Christ's resurrection authority sent out into the world. And I'm going to close really quickly with this. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm almost finished. Thank you for being such great listeners. Right after the book of Acts, you have Romans, and then you have 1 Corinthians. Bishop Ron already quoted this verse. I just want to point something out to you. Because your average Christian in America, I guarantee you they don't know this. They don't. I've tested it. They don't have a clue. This is a long chapter of Scripture. I'm not going to read it. But the first few, chap first few verses, you can look. The first few verses are about the gospel. Right? Jesus died according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised according to the Scriptures. Right? It's the gospel. This wonderful gospel. And, and he appeared to many people and so on and so forth. Toward the middle of this passage, you know, Paul talks about eschatology, the study of last things. Jesus is not going to get off his throne until his enemies are made a footstool, put under his feet. Jesus does not move from his throne until his enemies are defeated. The last enemy is death. That's what Paul says. Verse 26. And death is defeated at the resurrection. So we keep going. Chapter 15 is a long, you know, there's this discussion about the body and being raised. And then look at the very last verse. Very last verse. Therefore, in light of the gospel, in light of Christ as king of the nations, in light of the fact that you will be raised from the dead, in light of all of these things, 57 verses of good stuff, he gets to verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Do you see it? In light of the gospel, in light of the resurrection of Christ, in light of the fact that God is ruling through Christ, he's ruling history with a rod of iron, in light of all that what Paul is saying, he says this, work. You're not, you are not supposed to gather on church on Sunday and think that your duty and responsibility before God is to just think about the gospel. You're to work. Amen. But make sure you're doing it correctly. He says, be steadfast and immovable. Men, be men. Strong men. Mutale. <laughs> and know that your work in the Dominion Covenant, it's not in vain. Husbands, you loving your wife is not in vain. Mothers, you're discipling your children is not in vain. Pastor, your work is not in vain here. It's not. And why is it not in vain? Christ is alive and he is king. It's not in vain. So here's my last final thing I want you to write down, then I'm going to pray. Christian vocation. 
Vocation, like your work, your calling, right? Christian vocation means... Christian vocation means that we go forth as priests. You all know that you're priests, right? We're kings, too, and priests. Ladies, you're queens. But you're also kings in kind of a different way. We're kings and priests. So we go forth as a priest under God to conquer the earth. And then guess what we do? We gather on the Sabbath to celebrate the conquest. Christian vocation means that we go forth as priests and kings under God to conquer the earth, and then we gather every single Sabbath day to celebrate the conquest. Celebrate that you were diligent this week. Celebrate that you have plans. Some of you have plans that you're just sitting on and you're sort of waiting for God. Maybe God wants you to move and act in a way that's honorable to him. That is Christ's resurrection authority. So take heart, brothers and sisters. Your labor is not in vain. Christ is risen, amen? He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you that you saw fit to give us your son. And we acknowledge his resurrection authority, the authority as the shepherd to give his life and to take it back up. And we acknowledge that it is our job to celebrate the work that you have given us, to build cultures and civilizations and do all of that based on the law word of God. So help us to celebrate each Sabbath week. Help us to celebrate the dominion you have given us as your servants. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that you would encourage them and spur them on towards love and good deeds. To Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.